Welcome back, friends. Welcome back to The Corbett Report. I'm James Corbett of CorbettReport.com, coming to you in October of 2021 with another edition of Solutions Watch. And as I hope my dedicated listeners will know by now, I have really spent the entirety of The Corbett Report's existence uh, examining, dissecting, and identifying propaganda of various uh, sorts and looking at the ways that it functions on the, the public consciousness, uh, very specifically, of course, in my Propaganda Watch series, my now discontinued Propaganda Watch series, but in my work generally over the course of the past 14 years, I've been engaged in that endeavor. But, of course, as you also know, in the course of the past year, I've been engaged in solutions. What can we actually positively do to empower ourselves with this information rather than simply to watch it unfold around us like some sort of train wreck? So what do we do once we are able to understand and identify propaganda, what do we do with that knowledge? Well, in order to tackle that question, I wanted to bring on someone who has even more experience in this field than myself, and someone who is more knowledgeable on the various ways that propaganda functions on the public mind. That is Mark Crispin Miller, who you will recall, of course, from interview 1633 in the Corbett Report archives from earlier this year, where we were talking about propaganda in the academy and the various ways that even academics get caught up in the propaganda machine. Well, today we're going to start talking about some of those things that we can do with this information. Mark Crispin Miller, thank you so much for joining us again today. Well, uh, thank you, James, for having me on. Um, you know, I think your show is one of the most important antidotes to the uh, toxin of propaganda. And I say this as someone whose own uh, propaganda series was also discontinued. <laughs> That's my course on propaganda at NYU, where I'm not actually allowed to teach it anymore. So it's good to have this uh, this sort of global alternative. Absolutely. And uh, if there's anything that we can learn from public intellectuals of the modern age like Jordan Peterson, it's that, well, an online presence can be even more effective and impactful in reaching millions of people all around the world that uh, perhaps you couldn't reach in one singular classroom. But don't downplay what happened in that classroom. In fact, it's that classroom experience that I want to draw upon for our conversation today, because you have had experience over the decades teaching this information to students, seeing how they respond to it, finding the best ways to deliver this information to them. And that's what I want to concentrate on in this conversation today. But before we get into that part of the conversation, just generally speaking, I'm getting new people in the audience all the time. Let's just go through some of the top tips that you would have for people who are perhaps new to this, perhaps for the first time questioning what they are seeing in the mainstream media. What are some ways to easily identify uh, propaganda and hopefully disarm it before it has an effect on them? Well, that, that uh, can be quite challenging, actually, because, uh, as, as I believe we discussed this point last time, while it's very easy uh, for every one of us to spot the propaganda that we disagree with, it is far more difficult to spot it when you agree with it. It's therefore um, been quite a challenge, not just for my students over the years, but, but for myself, I'm being perfectly candid here, uh, to, to uh, perceive certain propaganda drives that actually uh, um, tell me what I wanna hear uh, uh, bolster my own inclinations, you know, my own prejudices. Uh, so um, one has to learn how to, you know, uh, maintain a certain humility, a certain intellectual humility, and uh, be ever willing 
to uh, move out of your comfort zone. You have to you have to be able to do that. Otherwise, your your mind is uh, you know it's it's uh, closed very tightly, and, and not really functioning as a mind any longer. You know, so um, let's let's uh, presume that we're talking about people whose minds are open, or at least who want their minds to be open, because as uh, Scripture tells us, it's a waste of time to argue with a fool. You know, there are people who are completely marinated in. Uh, steeped in a particular propaganda narrative to the point that they become uh, uh, livid if you if you question it in any way. Um, you know, I've had all too many such experiences. I think m- many of us have had that experience over the last year and a half because this uh, has been perhaps the most successful psyop in human history, you know, this uh, COVID propaganda. So let's let's assume that we're dealing with uh, people comparable to my students over the years, in that they're they're receptive, and they're they're willing to overcome the sort of surge of resentment that you sometimes feel when your, you know, preferred views are challenged. Uh, what what how how do we spot propaganda, uh, when it is, at its most successful. Uh, you know, very good at, at coming at you as something other than what it is, right? What what they call in the intelligence community gray propaganda is propaganda that comes disguised as, say, news or as uh, medical expertise or as entertainment, you know. Uh, if it comes at us as itself, and that's what white propaganda is, if it's a billboard, if it's a t- TV commercial, if it's something like that, a political speech, uh we know that it is propaganda and and therefore have a certain amount of um, you know skepticism toward it. But if it if it's slipped uh, you know into our drinks, as it were, uh, so that uh, we think we're being informed about the world, or we think we're getting an expert view from Dr. Fauci, for example, uh, we might not see it for what it is. And if you don't see it for what it is, it, it will work on you, right? So how do we how do we begin to determine that 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 we're being subjected to a propaganda drive? And at this point, it's sort of hard to imagine not being subjected to a propaganda drive because the media system is um, concentrated to an unprecedented degree. There are very, very few corporate owners of the media. They are all dominated by the same huge uh, commercial interests you know, which which bribe them in, in the form of advertising revenues. Um, and as the media has become more concentrated uh, and, you know, more sort of uh, unipolar, it has also become ever closer to the government, right? Um, I mean, this has been going on for decades. We all have heard, or many of us have heard of Operation Mockingbird, the CIA's um, you know, covert plan to use the media uh, for propaganda purposes. But I think it's become, um, I mean, we've long since passed the crisis point with this with this development of the media, its transformation into uh, an enormous um, uh, propaganda engine, you know, a mighty Wurlitzer of unprecedented um, scale, and, and I think also mendacity. I mean, I, I've really never seen so much 
gobsmacking dishonesty. You know, I mean, lies so flagrant, you can't believe the people telling them don't know their lies, right? So, all right, having said all that, if we hear the same thing everywhere we look, uh, everything we hear, everything we read, um, that is to say, we're not um, engaged consciously in seeking out the truth. We're simply tuning into the things we usually tune into. So let's say we read the New York Times, we watch CNN, we listen to NPR. Uh, they're all saying the same thing, all of them. Very few outlets aren't saying that. That doesn't happen organically, at least not with a genuinely free press, which, which you know, if we can cast our minds back to when we had one or had something like one, there would be, you know, a certain amount of contention, a certain amount of disagreement back in the days when, you know, radio news competed with newspapers in local markets uh, and competed with TV uh, stations, you know, doing the news. There'd be some competition and you'd have a little bit of, of variety, right? Um, well, we don't really have that anymore. We hear the same thing everywhere, everywhere. And interestingly, sometimes, you know, the ver Versions of the narrative we're getting clash with each other only in terms of, of fact, you know, so there's small ways in which they're not actually saying the same thing, but they seem to be saying the same thing. They seem to be in agreement. That, as far as I'm concerned, is, is uh, a key indication that you're being bombarded with propaganda. Then what you do is try to seek out a different point of view. And, and sometimes they make this easy because in hammering away at the same, you know, uh, uh, bogus narrative, they'll also take shots at people or voices that are in disagreement. There'll be a lot of jeering, you know, a lot of ridicule. Uh, they'll call people conspiracy theorists or COVID deniers or accuse them of hate speech. I mean, there's a, there's a certain roster of put downs, of, of attacks that, that, that are, you know, uh, inevitable. We hear them all the time. When we hear that, read that, that's the first thing we should go look at is, is precisely what is being uh, dismissed, what is being attacked, what is being called a hoax, what is being called fake news. You go and you look at that, read that. Uh, listen to those voices. Look at the people who've been canceled. You know, you look at Robert Malone, for example, or you look at Mike Yeaton, or you look at Sukarit Bhakti. They're these terrific, uh, you know, medical scientists who um, really make a compelling case and and often demolish the mainstream narrative and and do it very effectively. That is precisely why the media will um, uh, slander them. Because the, the point is not to get you to um, entertain various sides of an issue. The point is to make sure you don't even try to do that, you see. And that runs contrary to the spirit of, of real journalism, and it runs contrary to the spirit of science, real science, you know, which is all about disagreement, testing hypotheses, and so on. So you you it's not hard to hear what you're always hearing. You got to make a kind of intellectual effort to pull back from it a little bit and ask, ask yourself, is this, is this necessarily true, right? 
then you seek out those voices that the mainstream has been um, sliming, right? You see what they have to say. Uh, and then you, you'll find that there's a genuine disagreement and you will usually notice that the mainstream, I, I, I don't like the word mainstream, I'm gonna use it anyway, but the, the um, cause it, it, it's increasingly clear that it's not mainstream, you know, that it's actually eccentric <clears throat> and, uh, you know, beloved by a minority, you know, that's actually the case. But let's say uh, mainstream, you, you, you have to uh, uh, note whether they're making any arguments because they're usually not making arguments, you know. When they call someone a conspiracy theorist, they've actually revealed that they have lost the argument already precisely because they don't want us having it. They don't want us hearing an argument. They want us uh, uh, in lockstep, wholly compliant and completely credulous, right? Because propaganda, and it's important to understand this, does not want an argument. It is not persuasion. Okay, persuasion is something that that uh, involves rhetoric. Orators, classical orators, used persuasion because they would be addressing, you know, the the populace, along with other speakers who were presenting different arguments. So there was a kind of a competition. Uh, they didn't always use completely rational uh, rhetorical devices. Sometimes they play on people's emotions. But the fact of the matter is that it was a persuasive process. You're trying to bring people along. And whether you're talking to one person or, or a multitude, you are trying to engage their minds in what you're saying. Propaganda does not do that. Propaganda in the modern sense has never done that. Propaganda wants to move us absolutely, almost at a, well, at a, not almost, at a sub-rational level, you know? It wants to sway us. It isn't persuasion, it's suasion. They want to sway us. And since the um, arrival of modern propaganda on the world stage with World War One, and it was extremely effective then, uh, the, the masters of propaganda uh, have uh, discovered a broad range of highly sophisticated uh, uh, devices uh, you know, uh, that, that affect us neurologically, you know, uh, I mean, it, it can even include, as people have been suggesting, some kind of, um, you know, microwave signal that people who've been injected uh, receive. And, and I've had experiences that suggest to me that that isn't really a far-fetched idea. Well, that sounds dystopian, and indeed it is, but it is um, just a kind of... Um, uh, extreme version of an impulse that propaganda has always had, which is to just get us jerking in response like so many zombies. They, they don't want people thinking. And that's why propaganda tends to rely primarily uh, on fear and anger. And when I say propaganda there, I mean war propaganda. Propaganda that is e either about war per se or is, is engaged in a kind of psychological war uh, or political war, you know, against certain candidates. But war propaganda, which is the most uh, catastrophic in its effects, it does rely on fear and anger. So, so it is 
some would say it's kind of a demonic thing. Uh, it goes way back in the history of organized delusion. Uh, but now it's, it's um, really extremely sophisticated. Uh, and so it's more crucial than ever before that we do make the kind of effort you and I are discussing here tonight. Absolutely. And you make such good points there. Let's hone in on one of them, which is the point that you you began and ended with there, which is that uh, even people who consider themselves old hats in the propaganda space can still fall victim to propaganda because it is designed to play on the things that we already are inclined to believe. So we can be led along through propaganda efforts that placate us, that, that tell us things that we want to hear, and all of us are subject to that. Every single person listening to this conversation, yourself, myself, and everyone else. So we have to continue to have our guards up and to evaluate even that information which we tend to agree with. But on that note, that it raises the interesting question. We do have defenses that we put up when we hear someone questioning something that we tend to believe or someone presenting information that goes against what we believe. And obviously that's the case I'm sure you have had many, many times in the classroom attempting to inform and educate your students about propaganda and what what is propaganda. This thing that you fervently believe in, maybe that was a propaganda effort that was aimed at you in order to get you to go along with an agenda which you don't agree with. Those types of things obviously do raise those defenses. Fear and anger are used to push people along in certain directions or keep them away from certain lines of investigation. What have you discovered in your time attempting to educate others about these issues uh, is... And, well, I won't limit it to one. What are the effective techniques that you have found for breaching those cognitive defenses that people throw up to information that they're not uh, interested in, in pursuing? Well, I mean, what I do with my students is just um, another a version of what I have tried to do with myself. You know, the longer I have made an attempt to understand propaganda, you know, my own history of um, going down what some would call rabbit holes began when I uh, wrote a, uh, my book Fooled Again, and it came out in 2005. It was about the theft of the 2004 election. Um, then I was, you know, the book was blacked out in the, by the corporate media, and I was attacked on the left press, weirdly, as a conspiracy theorist. And this had never happened to me, and this prompted me to study the history of that meme. And I believe we talked about it last time. You know, the CIA weaponized it in 67 in order to discredit critics of the Warren report. And, and in so doing, they kicked off one of what is easily the most successful propaganda drives in, in human history. The meme has long since spread throughout the West. And what it has done is to make people distrustful of their own healthy, rational suspicions of elite intentions, right? Vaccine hesitancy is a similar uh, 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 weapon that's used, you know, on, on black people, for example, who have every reason not to, not to trust the medical establishment, you know? Uh, so why, you know, they, 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 they make it sound like a kind of syndrome, you know, that you're, you're, you're neurotic if you're vaccine hesitant and you're neurotic if you're a conspiracy theorist, right? Well, you, you, have, to, you have to do, do one has to do, whether it's, whether it's me or whether it's my students, one has to um, 
you know, really make an effort to, to, to read comprehensively on the subject and strive for a certain impartiality. And, and this can be very hard. And, you know, there are students who can't do it, who couldn't do it. There are people who can't do it. Um, but, but there's something I, I discovered in, in my own case, which I think you'll find interesting. Um, often, when we're dealing with scientific questions, uh, if we're not scientists ourselves, we may be inclined to a certain insecurity and think, I, I, don't, I can't really, I don't know what's true here. I'm not a virologist, you know. Well, when you look at these things through the lens of propaganda study, you really aren't obliged to, you know, run out and get yourself a master's degree in the scientific discipline concerned. All you really need to do or have is, is a certain basic literacy uh, and intelligence. And it, that doesn't mean you have to have gotten a BA or anything. It just means that you have to see what people have to say on a certain subject. Now, for a while there, probably a long while, I was convinced that climate change was a, a dire problem and is going to destroy the world. You know, I, I saw an inconvenient truth when it came out. I found it very convincing. Uh, and, you know, uh, I felt that anyone who argued with it was a shill for the fossil fuel industry. You've, you've heard all this. But once you, once you start to look at these things as, as, um, as students of propaganda, all you, you find that all you really need to do is ask yourself if the official story adds up. That's all you need to do. You don't have to become a climate scientist, you know. Uh, you don't have to become an astrophysicist and argue with climate scientists. You just ask yourself, are, are the propaganda, uh, um, the primary propaganda tactics or memes used to make the case, are, are they sound, right? And I, I started to do this in my, in my class, in my undergraduate propaganda class. I had students, and, and this is um, a sort of a, a you know, um, parenthetical answer to part of your question. You don't, you don't hector people with counter evidence. You don't you know, throw it at them. This is what we do on so-called social media. You know, we fling these things at each other and think, aha, you know, I got you now. That's exactly the worst way to try to get somebody to see things differently. Right. So you you don't do that. You simply say, you know what, I, I, maybe you should look at this. Maybe you should look at that. That's what I would do with my students. So I would take the hockey stick graph, you know, that infamous graph that that shows all of um you know, uh, history since the birth of Christ, you know, it, it makes it seem as if the climate uh, was completely stable worldwide. And then suddenly in the 20th century, it just shoots up, right? And this had a big influence on the UN. And, uh, you know, it's everywhere you look. Well, it turns out that it's, it's um, an extremely weak, uh, flawed model uh, that has been uh, basically debunked and debunked for real by quite a number of um, mathematicians and other scientists. And indeed, the Michael Mann, the chief scientist who developed the hockey stick graph, was challenged. He, he sued a critic for libel. And um, 
the critic, you know, uh, turned the tables on him by demanding his raw data. And he, he never would come up with it. He would not come up with the raw data. Uh, the court tried to get him to come up with it, and he didn't. Well, that suggests that the hockey stick graph is, is uh, it, it doesn't prove anything. It's, it's a piece of propaganda that's meant to, you know, fill us with dread, with alarm at the sight of this apparent demonstration that all of a sudden the world's temperature shot upward for the first time in, in millennia, right? And then you look at this woman, Susan Crockford, who's probably the world's leading authority on polar bears, and she discovered that they're thriving, you know? So all these, these pathetic images we've seen, because it's propaganda, of these lone polar bears, you know, st drifting, stranded on, on bits of ice, you know, that is propaganda because as a matter of scientific fact, the polar bears are flourishing. Now, the fact that she was then deprived of her teaching position at the University of Victoria uh, for no given reason suggests that she had basically committed the sin of... Um, uh, you know, singing from something other than the uh, official hymnal, you know, she was singing the wrong tune. The right tune is that the polar bears are are uh, just about gone because the planet is sweating to death and all this stuff. And then there's a, another similar example recently. Uh, I think his name is Paul Ridd. He's a uh, scientist who was teaching at a school in Australia, which fired him for criticizing the work of a colleague on the relationship between climate change and coral growth. He was, you know, quite blunt in his criticisms of this colleague's work. And he was fired for this, for unprofessional conduct. Uh, he sued. It went all the way to Australia's highest court and he lost. Okay. Now you, you put all these things together and you realize those tactics that were used to sway me to believe that climate change is, it's, it, it, we're facing an apocalypse, you know? Those tactics are, are they're dishonest, you know? Th th those are not scientific arguments. And then we pull back and we notice that there's all kinds of, um, you know, talk and predictive programming and so on about the need for a climate lockdown. Right? I know you've talked about this before that once they've, uh, you know, squeezed the COVID lemon completely dry, they'll, they'll say, well, we, you know, everybody has to have carbon credits um, and uh, not Bill Gates, but everybody else. And um, if we don't um, lock everybody up now for the foreseeable future, we're, we're all going to die. We're all going to die. The planet's going to become white hot and et cetera. Right. So, um, you know, that, that's an ex kind of a complicated example of, of, of how one should approach these things with an open mind and, you know, trying not to succumb to wishful thinking. A, a complicated example, but an incredibly apt one, because this is one of those subjects that I've been covering for the last 14 years, trying to introduce my audience to some of the just the basic 
arguments in various ways. Look at the scientific arguments. They fall apart upon scrutiny. Or look at the propaganda that these arguments are being embedded in. It's clearly propaganda that is designed to lead you in a certain direction. Look at the people and the organizations that are promoting this propaganda that have literal corporate vested interests in the various outcomes that are coming on here. Look at the larger uh, vision that is being presented here and what it ultimately leads to. The climate lockdowns and the carbon pass that will be tied into your vaccine pass, that will be tied into your digital ID, that will be tied into your central bank digital currency. Do you really think this is about protecting the environment? And yet, despite the fact that I have been attempting to forward this information for the past 14 years, and I have heard, I do hear from people who say, you opened my mind to this issue. I, I was a believer in it, but now I've taken a second look. But I also hear constantly pushback from people. You know, I agree with you on so many things, James, but that issue, I just, I can't believe you're right. No. I, are, do you even care about the world at all? Do you care about the environment? It's, it is one of those issues in which the, the, the barriers to new information have been erected so firmly by the propaganda that has been put in place for at least my entire life I've been subjected to this propaganda. So I, I certainly understand why people are not willing to go there. And it is a work in progress for myself, finding different ways to present this narrative to people in a way that they'll start to understand it for hopefully from a different perspective. You raise one important point um, there, which is... In a certain sense, uh, this is at least partially dependent on the willingness of the student in this situation to be a student, as in to be genuinely open-minded in pursuit of truth, wherever that may lead them. And of course, as we know, in real life, we often encounter people who are not willing to be open-minded and willing to engage in that pursuit. So um, I think sometimes we put the responsibility on ourselves it is our responsibility to, to show this truth to someone, but they call me a conspiracy theorist, so now it's on me to find a different way to present it to them. Well, I think sometimes we internalize that to our own detriment because some people are simply not willing to look at the information and will use anything to avoid it. And it's not on us to find the magical key that will unlock that door for every single person. Um, right. As a as a corollary to that, um, the, you you raised the the uh, the the idea earlier in the conversation of white propaganda versus gray propaganda, and of course, there's also black propaganda, which is essentially false flag information, information pretending to be from a different source um, that is often could be used to discredit that source. For example, um, it does raise the question. If we are engaged in providing the antidote of, antidote of truth to this to propaganda toxin, then is there white truth and gray truth and black truth? Can we do false flag operations to discredit the mainstream? Or at the very least, can we engage in humor or entertainment or some other ways of slipping this information past the cognitive defenses of people who otherwise wouldn't be willing to listen to it? Oh, absolutely. I mean, humor is essential, you know, especially because the subjects that we grapple with are so dark. Uh, right. And and there's only, you know, um, so far you can get expressing outrage, uh, you know, extreme indignation, which is hard not to do when you're dealing with malefactors like Dr. Fauci or, or Bill Gates. I mean, I, I really think these people are malevolent. And, um, you know, it's a, it's a view that's been to no small extent informed by your work. But these are people who do not want the best for us. Uh, and, and one finds oneself, you know, struggling to sort of convey the enormity of all this, which is perfectly natural. Uh, but uh, 
it's it's not going to make an impression on people who are still smitten, you know. Now, one of the things that does tend to wake people up, and it's 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 not a happy thought, but it is true, that when often, not always, when one one's own personal experience, one's own horrible personal experience is directly contrary to what they've been told and what they've wanted to believe. That does not always wake people up tragically. You know, we've, we've heard of people who are, you know, dying of uh, breakthrough COVID who, you know, with their last breaths say, you know, people should get the shot, right? That's, I don't even want to go there. <laughs> what, what, you know, that kind of delusion is, is kind of frightening. But, but for the most part, I think people uh, are able to be snapped out of it by a, a traumatic contradiction of the official narrative. I believe that that's why the Vietnam War finally had to end. The casualty rate was so high, so many people had lost people in various ways to that meat grinder of a war that it ceased to be possible to keep it going. You just couldn't bullshit people out of it. You couldn't. So this turned public opinion against the war, I think, far more effectively than the anti-war movement, you know, which I was in to some extent. But it would be a mistake to, you know, uh, give that movement credit for what actually happened. It had gone on too long and too many people were suffering. And I think that's directly analogous to what's happening now with the vaccines. You know, I mean, down here at ground level, we, we are constantly hearing about learning of still more people who have been either killed or horribly injured. You know, the VAERS data doesn't even begin to convey the scale and the horror of what's going on. This is all around us now, right? And it's young people, too, increasingly, who are dying of, you know, myocarditis and so on. And now they're going after children from 5 to 11. Well, I, I think that to a certain extent, um, the enlightenment of the multitudes will take care of itself, although it's tragic that it has to take that, you know. Otherwise, ridicule, humor are uh, healthy and necessary. I mean, that's the story of the emperor's new clothes. You know, when when some ingenuous voice says well, he's not wearing anything, you know, um, that 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 can do a great deal. And and I think Dr. Fauci has come in for his fair share of ridicule, deservedly. Uh, Gates, too, more and more, you know. Uh, so, uh, yeah, yeah, we can't just we can't just hit people over the head with counter evidence. It's just it's not going to work, you know, especially when. And this is the, the crux of the matter here, especially when what it is uh, we're hoping people will discover is something that they quite naturally don't want to believe. I mean, who wants to believe that these um, towering authority figures, these uh, major health care, uh, major health care entities, and, and health agencies like the WHO and the CDC, who wants to think that they're as corrupt as they are? You know, who wants to think that Bill Gates is intent on radical global depopulation, right? Who wants to think any of that? 
I mean, you know, some of the people we know have long since decided that there's something satanic at work here, you know, and, and that's an even darker place to go, right? I don't, I, I no longer rule that out because what's happening is so monumentally evil that it's it's hard not to, you know, wonder about that. But the fact is, the conspiracy theory meme has been successful for decades, precisely because the conspiracy theory is is telling you something that you just don't want to think is true. My my own personal definition of conspiracy theory is something that, if true, you couldn't handle it, right? And this this affects people when they think about climate change. It affects people when they think about the vaccines. It affects people when they think about school shootings, which is another, you know, white hot issue. But, um, you know, I, I have long since, through propaganda study, ceased to regard it as a right wing delusion that the purpose of uh, these major propaganda drives based on high profile shootings has been to disarm the population. I, I don't dismiss that at all. I think that's true, right? And if you look at Australia and New Zealand, look what's happening to the people there, and then you cast your mind back to uh, how effectively they were all disarmed, you know, because of two extremely high profile mass shootings. Well, you know, it's not a crackpot notion, you know. The George Orwell in the late 30s wrote a newspaper article uh, you know, uh, over the prospect of a Nazi invasion of England in which he, he came right out for gun ownership, you know, George Orwell. So, you know, that, that gun on the wall of the working man's flat or the uh, farmer's cottage is a symbol of freedom, right? Uh, so um, when you talk about things like uh, Sandy Hook or the Las Vegas shooting, uh, you're going to you're going to get a lot of flack. I, I don't, you know, deal with those in my classes so much because it's probably a bridge too far. But um, you just got to look at the evidence in every single case, you know, no matter how outlandish the notion may be, you cannot in good conscience completely dismiss it if you haven't bothered to look at it at all. The same as the case with Pizzagate, you know. I think Pizzagate is, is, is you know, by no means an insane um, uh, theory, uh, but the way that it has been deliberately misrepresented in the media, you know, in service of getting people to scoff at it, well, that, that in itself is telling, you know. They've never honestly explained exactly what it is and what it's based on. They're very quick to, you know, jeer at it and laugh at it because, again, who wants to think that that's true? You know, nobody wants to think that it's true. Anyway, we, we, we've, we've wandered far afield. I mean, the, the, the issue before us all today is this uh, vaccination drive, which, you know, I think is a, an unprecedented global catastrophe. It must stop. And so we are obliged, you know, as students of propaganda, uh, intent on helping people to come to, you know, to snap out of it. I think we should focus primarily on that. And I, and I hope I've given some, you know, uh, valuable advice to that end. I think so. There's so much meat to chew on here. Um, but let's, let's end on this note. I know you recently received an email from someone who was wondering 
well, what sources, what, what sources should I trust? And what sources do you trust? And how do you come to that understanding? And that's a question I received many, many times over the years, and I've answered a number of times. I have my own answer to that question, but let me put it to you, Mark Crispin Miller. What sources do you trust and why do you trust them? Yeah, well, um, one, one thing I'd like to say is that, that, that the, the, the sources one trusts tend not to be too doctrinaire, you know? Uh, for example, let's take let's take an issue that has people on both sides often losing their temper, and that's the question of whether or not there is a virus at all, or uh, whether or not this is the result of a bioweapons research program, either gone wrong, wrong or gone right. You know, and I've been attacked by people on both sides of the issue just for keeping an open mind. You know, I, th I think it's important. In doing our uh, independent studying of the relevant material, uh, to be as as um, receptive as possible, we need to watch and listen to sources we might ordinarily have, uh, you know, rejected, distrusted. I, I I learn a lot from Alex Jones's Infowars, even though you know on some issues I, I I I have questions about the way he's handled certain issues and I'm not sure his motives are entirely pure. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. He he and his people cover issues that others don't cover, and one never accepts this stuff at face value. You, you look into it yourself, and one usually finds that, that that they're right. The same is the case with David Icke, who's done a lot of great work. But his his stuff about shape shifting and lizards, you know, that naturally puts a lot of people off. But he's often so good on so many other issues. You just say, all right, you know, I, I don't I don't think they're lizards, you know. Although for all I know, they might be, you know. Who knows, right? So one has to be completely open minded. One has to look at both sides of these issues. So along those lines, I find, you know, um, it goes without saying that your show is indispensable. Uh, global research is an excellent outlet. Children's health defense is is indispensable. Uh, Dell Big Trees High Wire is excellent. Uh, the Off Guardian and UK column in Britain is excellent. Uh, is Whitney Webb. Um, I mean, one could really go on and on. I, I, I've become a fan of Ian Davis since I saw your uh, conversation with him. Um, you know, I, I I hesitate to go on because I'm 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 going to leave out. We will, yeah, we will inevitably leave some people out. I just want to throw in Ryan Christian of Last American Vagabond, who's doing excellent work, three four hour podcasts several times a week, really diving into the propaganda specifically surrounding COVID. Excellent analysis there. Uh, and uh, for some reason, I I think of uh, Ice Age Farmer too. Mm, yeah. uh, you know, Chris Christian at Ice Age Farmer, but that's an issue that doesn't get enough attention, and mm. it's so important food supply and so on. Oh, there's uh, Catherine Austin Fitz's Solari report. John Titus uh, on central bank digital currencies. There's there's too many people to mention individually. And, yeah. that's, and that's the good news. Yeah. You know, there is there is an astonishing array of, of really fine, humane, uh, um, uh, well-educated talent out there. You know, they should all have access to an actual media system, an actual press, Right. Uh, the fact that most people, or I should say many people, have never heard of any of those voices tells us something about how propaganda works. You know, it, it isn't as if it's it's a Maoist or Nazi system where you could be executed if they find you with a shortwave radio. It doesn't work that way because the stuff is all readily available, or 
will be at least as long as they let the internet function at all, right? If that should cease to happen, then we're going to have to talk about, you know, Samizdat or going back to paper. We, we never give up. We never stop trying to find the truth and never stop trying to tell the truth. Never, you know. Um, but uh, it, 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 it is striking how, how people uh, can tend to have a kind of, um, you know, theater uh, constructed all around their heads. You know, they're like a horse's blinders. You've got a kind of closed theater on your head. You know, it's like a box that you popped your head into and you see everything through that particular lens or prism. You know, there's all kinds of stuff going on outside the theater. There are people pounding on the walls of the theater. There are people taking sledgehammers to the walls of the theater to let the light stream in and to, you know, break that spell. This goes all the way back to Plato's cave. It's the same thing. But the interesting development is that uh, in, a, in a digital universe where we're constantly barraged and battered by stimuli of various kinds, you can sort of succumb to a, a, a kind of blindness or denial that, that protects you against contradiction. And it isn't necessary to um, arrest anyone who mentions, uh, you know, a, a dissenting view, although, you know, it sometimes feels like we're heading in that direction, you know. It certainly does. And I think my hesitancy with that question about what source do you trust stems from, I, I think, in a, depending on how that question is, is posed, it may be proceeding from the wrong assumption. That there is a source or sources that, here you go, you can trust these sources, now listen to these people. I certainly agree with everyone you mentioned there, and as I say, many, many more um, that I've talked to in the past. People can check the archives of people who, whose work I do check on a regular basis, and I do value, and I do get lots of information from them. But I wouldn't say I trust them, at least not in the the straightforward sense of whatever they say I'm going to take on board. No, we have to apply the same filters and, and, and processes for taking information, scrutinizing it, seeing if there is some, if we can triangulate the data. Can we make sense of this? Does it fit in? Does, it dis, does this discredit that? We have to do that process with all of the information we're receiving from every source. And certainly there are sources that I won't even look at because I have seen so many times in the past have been wildly wrong or blatant misinformation, etc. There are other sources that I know, generally speaking, this person does good work. I'm, I'm going to take it seriously. I'm going to really listen. But it doesn't mean that I blindly accept anything from any source. And I would never ask people to do that with anything I report uh, well, exactly. or any other source ever. Always, always apply the same processes for taking information on board. And it's, uh, I know no one likes to hear that because everyone would love to have, here's the source, and this person is 100% true and right about everything all the time. <laughs> Wouldn't that be easy? Now I can turn my brain off. But unfortunately, I think the, the message is you can't turn your brain off. You have to keep your cognitive filters and defenses up and also keep your mind open to things that fall outside of what you're willing to go to and what you're willing to think about. And sometimes you have to challenge your own beliefs and assumptions so that you can see, am I really on the right track? Does this comport with reality? Am I ending up personally in a place that I want in my life? That might be a good way of trying to evaluate whether or not the information you're taking in on a regular basis is actually useful to you. Is this helping me get to where I want to be in life? 
many, 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 many big topics to talk about there. But I will simply direct people to another important news site that they should be checking, which is, of course, markcrispinmiller.com, News from Underground, which I assume most of my audience will be familiar with. But if not, here's a good opportunity to introduce them to it. Tell people a little, little bit about what you do there. Well, uh, I, I try to send out as many um, important stories as I can. These are, you know, this is news that, that gets short shrift or is misreported, blacked out completely uh, by, by the other media. You know, I, I, one of the reasons I don't like to say mainstream, James, and I know you'll appreciate this, is that it isn't just the corporate media that's uh, really doing us uh, uh, grave harm, but it's the left liberal press as well. So if mainstream can be said to include, you know, Amy Goodman, Michael Moore and Noam Chomsky, then then I'll, I'll say mainstream media, you know, um, uh, I just lost the thread of what I was saying. I was, uh, news I was, from underground trying to put out information. Yeah. Thank you. Um, yeah. Uh, so I send out, you know, five, ten pieces a day and uh, now and then I send out something of my own. Uh, and and I, I should mention that I'm now on Substack, so uh, it, it it costs nothing to uh, uh, sign up for news from underground. All you have to do is go to markcrispinmiller.com and sign up. I recommend the Daily Digest option, unless you don't mind getting these things, you know, as I send them. Some people don't like their inboxes filling up. Uh, Substack is, has a modest subscription fee. Uh, but these are both, you know, ways to keep in touch with me and I share your stuff and we all share each other's stuff and so on. Um, and, I, and I welcome, uh, you know, the more people uh, can hear from me that way, the better, especially under um, current circumstances where more and more platforms are close to us uh, with, with an ever more kind of shocking flagrancy, you know. And the government is is pushing those uh, so-called social media companies to just engage in outright rank propaganda. You know, I, I want to say as, as an important theoretical point, you know, that censorship is the necessary obverse of propaganda. They go together. Right. You can't have one without the other. Uh, so any any uh, format or medium that we can use to kind of get around that that uh, crackdown is 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 very very important you know so i think it's probably going to be the case that more and more of us keep in touch in that way you know uh so i'm 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 grateful for your um pitching uh, news from underground well, I'm grateful for the work that you do. I'm grateful for this conversation. We could have multiple conversations just based on the points that have been raised in this one, but I think that will uh, that will suffice for today. <laughs> That's a lot for people to digest. I hope people um, have gotten something out of this and will take a look at News from Underground if they haven't yet done so. Mark Crispin Miller, thank you so much for your time. Thank you, James.